1: We are the boys in white and blue, and also red and white. You're listening to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM, from the unceded Muscoum Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall.
0: I'm Steve Panther.
1: And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhower. And Zach has joined us on his journey home from watching Canada make history we could not have him on the show we've told him to make sure that everything is safe he's not driving the car so don't worry everyone he's just in the the, the back seat so we had to get him on the show because zach much like the rest of us is cock a hoop after the 36 year wait, finally over canada are back at the world cup let's go straight to zach what's the emotions like right now
0: yeah it, it was um A very very special day man um you you know there's some things in life i know football is not the most important thing in life by any stretch of the imagination but this is something that a lot of people have been waiting for for a long time and for a lot of that time it never felt like it was possible like alfonso davies address to fifa a number of years ago that saw us win the co-hosting bid for the world cup felt like a qualification for a world cup but it's nowhere near the same thing to actually qualifying through the qualifying process. And, um, yeah, today was just, uh, I don't know, a very, very special day <laughs> that I, you know, until, what, I don't know, a year ago, I never saw really ha- happening. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the emotions run deep today, Michael.
1: I, I, I can imagine the atmosphere just seemed absolutely uh, electric in, in the stadium. But we'll come back to you in a sec, Zach. I'll just bring Steve in. Just to get his initial emotions to it all, you've been through the highs and lows. you've talked so much on the show about watching Canada in the fetal position, and it hasn't a, gone in, well over the years, but no,
2: in the fetal position with the curtains drawn, lights off volume low, basically. and today the volume was high. I had uh, Alfonso I was watching Alfonso babies on Twitch and everything. so he had me getting getting hyper and everything like that. I mentioned to you before the show I had to watch some Star Trek just to calm down a little bit before recording this podcast. So, yeah, it's just phenomenal. I actually, uh, for the first time in a long time, I didn't feel anything, any fear going into this into this round. Uh yeah. I, I felt, even after the one nothing loss not, not on whatever Thursday or whatever it was, because it's like, oh, I know I'm sure we'll talk about it, but being down 10 men and them still trying to get a result out of that game, it just shows the quality that they are. And this game... You know, you know, you know, you never know, and everything like that. And they had a two nothing lead for a long time, the most dangerous lead in in, in sports. <laughs> uh, but it it, it it was something that you knew was inevitable, especially after the last window. The last window really took me, brought me out, and and, and, and brought me up. So I I just enjoyed uh, today; it was fantastic.
1: I, I think today. It was for me. It was pretty much a formality that this whole three-game period was because they they were basically already in. They they had one foot and a couple of toes already in the World Cup in Qatar. They just had to to dot the I's and cross the t's. And even after that game in Costa Rica, barring an absolutely stunning mathematical collapse in games, which didn't look like was going to be on the cards they were there so you could definitely enjoy the game today knowing that it was a celebratory mood and like we were chatting in our group chat during the costa rica game i was totally fine that that costa rica won that i know that john herdman and the team they wanted to finish this qualification run unbeaten and that would have been magical I just felt there was going to be something so special about actually doing it on home soil, and to do it in front of your own fans, and to have everyone there, just to to be a part of that, and I I was like, okay, that's not the end of the world, and y- you saw it today, and it's like that stadium, just from before kick-off, to the anthems, to the the first goal going in, I once that first goal went in, it was pretty much party time after that, but it it was just an amazing atmosphere, and I've been to some Canada games over the years, and I've been to ones here, I've been to a Gold Cup games down in Seattle, and the Voyagers always, they always brought the fire, they always brought the atmosphere, but this seemed stadium-wide today, it was just fantastic, even if the conditions were absolutely freezing. Uh, yeah, it was the coldest of the games
0: of the games I've been to in this in this round. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was colder to- than Hamilton. It was colder than Edmonton. But yeah, there was yeah. twenty nine thousand people uh, who were dressed for the occasion, um, and you know, because you're you're down on the water, and it's colder by the water, and it's more windy yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But man, yeah, yeah I, I've never seen a Canada game with so many people standing and so many people engaged in in some of the the, the vocal support. It was it was really incre- It was really incredible.
2: And Toronto minus five hits harder than minus ten in Edmonton for sure. Yeah, like oh, yeah. It, it, it hits hard when you're in minus five. There, it's different way, a Different type of minus five. Totally. But I, but I, I love the I love the flags, the oh, anthem singing man. at the beginning of the game. That got hyper uh, hyped up and everything like that. But and the t- and and the supporters were in the game the whole the whole way through. Yeah, there was there wasn't didn't seem like a a lull in there anywhere.
0: No, no, it was. Uh, I was in a uh, yeah. It, I, I got I got down to. Connect with the supporters, but I didn't get, I didn't get really into the heart of it. I was more on the edge of it uh, when I was down there. But um, yeah, it was it was great. And then yeah, th- th- just when you looked over and just like saw how how much people were engaged and um, a part of everything, it was just it was really amazing.
1: And you you were our man on the ground there t- today. I don't know the, the post game. I mean, obviously the players were just so excited and. The, the post-game scrums that we got, all the players. It, it's going to take a while, I think, for it to to really sink into some of them. It's going to be when they wake up tomorrow, they're going to be like, I'm going to a World Cup. Alistair Johnston yeah. spoke afterwards uh, just about how he's realising now he could be playing against the likes of Harry Kane or Messi and, or Ronaldo in, his last, in their last ever World Cups and, and stuff. So it's starting to sink home to a young lad like that. But we've also got to talk about the the old guard, like yeah. Milan Borjan and Atiba, and like yeah. I'm sure that's two guys that, in their heart of hearts, probably thought we're not going to be playing at a World Cup.
0: Oh well, Atiba, Atiba did an interview four years ago saying, "Yeah, there's no way I'm going to get through another four-year cycle like this. I, my 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 time is coming on," and I don't know if you could hear it so much on the broadcast, but there was multiple times where. The, uh, Atiba's name was being chanted like throughout the ground. Yeah, it uh, yeah. It, it was, it was, it was. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah.
2: He said it after the game too that he was he didn't feel like he was going to be at this point four years ago.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He gave an interview to I think Christian Jack four years ago where he said that. Yeah. And uh, it it was, it was incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible just to just to see. I mean, I mean, he's. He is a testament to what hard work and taking care of yourself and being like a a, a real true, like passionate professional. Um, at, you know, it shows what you can do, right? If you if you stay if you stay committed, and obviously he's ob- as well extremely talented. Yes. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it, it was. It, I think yeah, the, some of the biggest emotional parts of today were were for me were watching him. You know. Um, both play, you know, come on and play, and then also just, you know, after when they, the ceremony, which hopefully we'll talk about a little bit later.
1: Yeah, D- did you, I haven't had a chance to, to speak to you since since after the game. This is the first of us chatting just on here, but did you get a chance to to connect with any of the players afterwards? Were you in any of the, the post-game scrums?
0: Uh, no, but I got to, I got to connect with some of them. Some of them, you know, obviously at training, and then I got to connect with some of the former players before the game. Um, I got to see our good friend uh, David Edgar, who uh, was was you know very generous with his time and uh, engaged in some conversation. And you know, every time I talk to him, I'm reminded of you know what a quality person he, he is. Yeah. Um, and then and then I had a I had a brief encounter with with one Dwayne Dwayne Devers in this area, which was was kind of humorous. Um, but um, yeah, no, I, I didn't. Afterwards, no, I didn't. I didn't do. Uh, I didn't do connecting the way I probably would have liked to have, but that, that's okay. One of the things that I loved with the celebration afterwards, and I know maybe there's some people who have a perspective of, like, they didn't win a trophy, so why were they celebrating the way they did? But, like, I, what they did was, you know, it looked like, I, I mean, I don't watch all the leagues, but it, it felt like a Bundesliga uh, championship celebration. Like they had, like the way, the fact that they brought the, I feel like all these people, at the CSA, they've started to watch the Bundesliga because of Alfonso Davies. And they've seen things like, Oh, we should do some of that. Cause that, that's what, that's what Bayern Munich does. When they win a title, they have an honor guard of former players who do do exactly what the old players did today. Um, you know, they form a line and the players come through them and high five them and the players are announced. And, and it was like, they'd won a, you know, a medal or they'd won a competition or whatever. And, I, I was thinking about it. I was like, I was wondering if some people would think this is kind of strange, you know, because they don't, there's no trophy, they, you know, they haven't I won the no. World. They, no, I know. But then I was thinking about it. And like, th- you know, when you think about international football, what what trophies can you win? Like for Canada, there's, there, there's, in a in a, a period of four years, there's three trophies that you can win. And they've never, I mean, it's been 36 years since they played for one of them. Uh, and uh, the, the others, uh, they haven't always played for an olympic medal especially on the men's side and then the other is the gold cup the gold cup right yeah and it's so, every
1: year so
0: <laughs> yeah well it's every other every other i year. i know'm I'm,
1: i I'm just being funny as our running joke that it seems to be every year
0: when they change it but yeah
2: the thing with the world cup though it's I, I, sometimes it feels like it's harder to get to the world cup than what you do in the world cup mm-hmm. like there's there's a more of a, a journey to get to the world cup and once you're there a lot of teams, you know, it, it, it a lot of teams might be, you know, they might not really have a chance when they get there. So the fact that they get to the World Cup seems like probably a bigger accomplishment
0: than than other stuff. Yeah, yeah, for a team like for a country like Canada, it's totally that. I, I don't know if you could hear it, but in the stadium, the first song they played after after the final whistle was, uh, and I'm gonna butcher this, um, but uh, is uh, Drake's? I started from the bottom. Yeah, and look, you know, look where we're at. I look at where. And I'm I got at, to the whatever. top. I got to the and top. I got or to yeah, and it got to the top. That's it. Yeah, and so, so that was what they played first in the, and the in the stadium went mental. Like it was, they were everyone was like into it. Like
1: crazy thing about all this, if you think back, Steve, as to what this World Cup qualifying was meant to be, Canada weren't meant yes. to even have a seat at the top table. They were they were going to get frozen out of the hex. They yeah. were going to have to go through basically the. the the smallest of the small in CONCACAF up to the the medium of the medium in CONCACAF just for a right to have a playoff game against a team that didn't do very well in the Hex. Yeah, exactly. And then we flipped that around and now we're out on top of the Hex and it's just been an absolutely magnificent campaign from start to finish. And as you said, Steve, even the loss in Costa Rica, the way that 10 men battled was absolutely phenomenal and it just shows the heart of this team it shows the skill of this team and it just shows the quality that we've got hopefully for many many years to come in this team
2: it's probably one of the positive things about COVID that this happened because it kind of messed everything up uh for the uh, for like the initial qualification uh but I think this I hope they kind of keep this qualification. I think this was really exciting. I don't know if Canada can miss Canada, you know, succeeded in everything, but the fact that you have eight teams in that final thing, I think it's better than six, personally. Uh like four games in a night or something like that in a qualifying game. Now, obviously, you would like it where you only had to play two during a window instead of three. And I that I don't know if that'll work in the future future qualifications, but I really like this. And I so they're probably gonna have to go through a different like setup for next time and then and then. And then the following one. I
0: hope they do do it this way, where they have the eight teams in the final in the final stage. But, but here's the thing, though, World Cup qualifying. Yeah, this was a, totally impacted by the pandemic. But it's also going to be likely to be reconfigured because there's about to be eight thousand teams in the World That's Cup. That's true. Very good point. it's
2: going to be, is, maybe, is maybe,
1: be maybe harder have... not to qualify for the World Cup.
0: Yeah, it,
2: it, it's maybe have ten teams in the next stage after when it's up to
1: forty-eight or something like that. But
2: so, it, it seems more exciting when you have more teams in that. Uh, final stage. And yes, you might have some blowouts and stuff like that, but I feel like in this, eight eight things, there have been surprising results. Like, there have been some, like, like, Mexico and USA have not run off with it
0: like a lot of people thought they were going to. Well, a couple of things about that, Steve, is, yeah, I think when you have three and a half berths, yeah, it's nice to have not like, you know, two-thirds of the team make it. it. You're right, it's been more of a battle with four teams making and four teams not. The other thing about the US and Mexico is, I mean, the U.S. is in transition, right? And Mexico is, for their standards, they're very poor right now, right? So Canada's also hit this all, all at a, you know, hit their their top form at kind of an ideal time with where the rest of the, the region's powers are at. Because Costa Rica's also kind of on a tra- in a transition, and Panama, you know, you know, maybe transition or they're not quite where they should where they were, right? So they, all things hit. The one thing I'll say about if, any, if there were any countries that were like, oh, you know, Canada is qualified and yet. They shouldn't have been in this. They should have had to go through this other thing. The one thing that, that, that Canada can point to is the fact that they did finish on top. And listening to Astachio yesterday after training, this was one of the things that he said. You know, I think someone asked him, I forgot what the question was, but they were like, oh, you just need to draw. And Astacchio was like, no, 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 no. We want to win because we want to top this group which also speaks to just the change in mentality of the squad and the yeah. players and the, and the coaching staff.
1: It's also important for, like, points, pots, yes. everything that, that's going to come into that. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how all, all that kind of shakes out. It, it looks, I, I think, from, from all this stuff we read beforehand, Canada's probably going to be in pot four which might also be uh, alongside Scotland as well because of the weird way that they've done it because they don't know who's getting that last qualification spot there. So Scotland and Canada will probably avoid each other, so that's my only happy thing. But seriously, without getting too carried away, and we'll delve into this obviously after the draw... There's Apart from maybe the upper echelon, and even with some of them, there's not that many teams that that I would see in pots two, three, or four that I would be like, oh, I don't fancy Canada's chances against. With the attack that we've got, if we can keep solid defensively, which we have basically all campaign, then we've nothing to fear down in Qatar. Well, the
2: biggest concern I had matchup wise was Italy,
1: and they're out, so I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> what a world we <laughs> live in. Italy are not going to the World Cup and Canada are. So this this young group of, of players, how good can they be? They're, they're still a young team. We know now know they are going to be at the next two World Cups because as hosts next time around, and unless FIFA somehow cram in a, a World Cup every two years in between, which I think we're running out of time to do. But in, unless they somehow miraculously do that, Canada's in the next two World Cups and with 48 teams in World Cups going forward. It could be a a number of World Cups that we're in, but how good can this team be? We'll chat about that in a sec. But before we do, I want to play a little bit of audio from Atiba Hutchison. I, I asked him that very question after the game today. Here's Atiba. Hi, Atiba. Congratulations on everything. The last couple of years, everyone's talked about this group as a golden generation players said that until you actually achieve something they couldn't be called that you've now achieved it you've got such a young squad and when you look at the fact that you're going to be now in the next two World Cups what is the ceiling for this team how good do you feel it can be and what do you think has sparked this change
3: yeah the sky's the limit for this team Um, there's just there's so much talent in in Canada now and uh, you know just players keep coming through I think that's what you need to to be a strong country and uh, to do well, um, not only in CONCACAF, but in, in world football. And I think, uh, you know, we have what it takes now to just really put ourselves on the map. Um, yeah, we're just going to continue to, you know, push our limits, uh, to develop, to improve. Um, <clears throat> it's not easy to get into this team now. I think it's there's going to be a lot of competition and you need that. You need that now and in football, you know, players need to push each other and uh, you know, the standards are very high now and, you know, like with the results that we're getting, you know, the confidence is there. So um, this, this country has a lot to look forward to. I think um, it's going to be a great couple of years, uh, especially with us going into the World Cup now and then having it here at home. Um, it's going to change the game for Canada and uh, it's great that you know, the youth can have
1: something to, to look up to. And, yeah, we're just going to keep pushing it forward. Oh. So, Tebow Hutchison there, he knows that this is a, a, a good team. It's a team of the the future. We all talked about this was the golden generation. And the players all said, look, we're not a golden generation unless we do something. And they've now done something. They've achieved something that only one other team has done in the history of qualification campaigns for for this country. Steve, how good do you feel this team can be? Obviously, we're all getting carried away, but it's a young team. The core is young.
2: It it all depends on their mentality going into this. Like, obviously, they've shown that they can handle the big stages like playing in Mexico, the CONCACAF big stages, uh, but the next level is a world stage. And that's the thing that you want to see. I think it's important to see what the friendlies they are able to arrange, Hmm. uh, because that'll be against top opponents, hopefully, and that'll show. Oh, it needs to be. Yeah, it needs to be. So it'll show them what they can do here against top opponents, and then um, and and what it can, and that'll probably give them some confidence going into that World Cup. But that's a huge stage, and and I'm not saying that they will, but there is a chance that some of these players do wilt under that pressure, and but I don't see it for this team. They, they, it's a different mentality with this team and, and I think that they will do well I think they'll be in a lot of the games uh, a lot of the three games I think honestly depending on who they uh, the you know, pull and everything, and if they're healthy, they, they could possibly get to the out of the group stages.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm totally uh, confident yeah. that, that they will, but that's obviously before seeing the draw. They could be in the group of yeah. death for, for oh, all Oh, yeah, know. exactly. No, it all depends on the group. yeah. Like but obviously the draw and... will shape the friendlies that they get as well, but yeah. ha- they have to play top teams. They have yeah. to go and play top teams, and with so many and, and, European-based players, you imagine they will. Yeah, and they have to play teams against
2: that are similar to the teams that are going to be in the group. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping sure. for, so that they, they can kind of get an idea of what those teams are like.
1: Yeah, like if they draw England, they play like a Wales or a Scotland. If they draw a South American team, they play a South American team or an African team. So all, all that kind of stuff has to go into it. But Zach, this is... I, I think we can say now it's the golden generation. We've been saying it for, for months and a couple of years, but now it, it's like it's very fair and accurate to say that they're humble, but they're also confident in their ability. And it's, it's a nice mixture just now. And I'm very excited for the the next four, eight, 12 years of of this team, this group together with young talent coming through, it feels like a whole new chapter for Canadian football.
0: And it, and it is Uh, And part of my conversation today with David Edgar was, you know, I just looked him in the eyes and I just said, you know, I'm so sorry that you, you didn't get to be a part of this as a player. And he yeah. was just like, no, he's, just, he's like, I'm so happy to see where our country has come. And he talked, he's they talked a little bit about coaching and how it's, you know, it's not the same as playing, but how it's, you know, it's, it's meaningful, but how he's so happy to see where the country, you know, is at, you know? Um, and, and you're right. There is, this generation has quality all over the park. Maybe the least amount is at center back maybe but there is quality all over the park there's like dynamic players all there. there's game changers there's like there's so much pace throughout the team as well which is which is you know so important to how they they can play
1: um especially when you're going to play in a hot country as well because teams yeah. will tire and if you if you got a couple of speedsters on the bench you can suddenly bring on it's like wow
0: the, the other thing, I didn't ask this of him during his interview or training, but the other thing when you look at this team is there's like this, they're, they're, there's like all these players who've come through different pathways. And it was, you know, I want to think what Alistair Johnson and his story and where he came from in his pathway to, you know, the professional world and now the national team and now most likely the World Cup. Right. It's just and then you look at and then you look at different players. you got a, a Jonathan David who chose to go to Europe. You look at Alfonso Davies who came, you know, came through MLS. You know, um, it's just it's crazy to look at all these players and how they've all come different ways and how that bodes, I think, really well for the future. Because all of those ways that people made it to where they are are like most of them are strengthening and getting better and growing. Um I mean, we've now I mean, got a he league here funny. as
1: well for young players, and we've got an under twenty three league for young oh, players, and we've got under nineteen leagues for young players.
0: Exactly, and and I mean, Alfonso Davies is like a, like a, uh, you wow. know, we didn't develop, we didn't develop him, right? When you talk, when I talk to former players, they're like, he is a a unicorn, you yeah. know. He's yeah. like, you're never going to replicate that, but we need to continue to produce good players, you know. And, so and,
1: what what I'm hearing is Alfonso Davies is Scottish because Unicorn uh-huh. is the national animal of Scotland.
0: Oh, there you go. Sorry. Uh, sorry but, to give you that.
2: But the, to go back on Zach's point about the former players, like the people that they were, like I watched the post-game show like on, on TV and they interviewed quite a few players, De Rosario, uh, Forrest. Forrest actually cra- uh, like teared up, like uh, talking about what it means to the, the, the right and I, I feel like they're like even the the former players a lot of them are interconnected with the national yeah. team still yeah. even if they didn't have a great time like a you know great period and everything like that um it just feels like that none of them like are bitter about it maybe the ones that we, we don't see on tv are the ones that are bitter but none of all of them are just happy for this current team and where they've come and i i i, I believe that a lot of them feel like they while it wasn't fantastic in the, like, in the results, but a lot of them had a contribution to what this team has now become. Yeah. And I I, I kind of agree with that, because if you think of it, 86 inspired 02, the World Cup, uh, Gold Cup, or 2000, or whatever it was, and 2000 inspires some of these players now. Like, it definitely got Atiba into the game, and Atiba's gone lower, and then now now this team is going to inspire other teams to play. It's just that we don't want that big gaps in between uh, performances, like we've well, had yeah.
1: In the past. You look at the women's side winning a gold medal. You look at the male side qualifying for for a World Cup. It's just such an exciting time. It's such an inspirational time for for young soccer players in this country. And as a kid watching that, we just went out to to get some takeout food, and I was saying to Caitlin, "Look at that! This kids playing football in our complex," and it's like it was just such a nice thing to see. And, like, Zach mentioned Alphonso Davis there, Steve. Now, you were watching his, his Twitch stream today, and you you sent me some clips, which I, I tweeted out. But, yeah, I, I know there's a few things you want to say about that. Yeah,
2: you no, know, there were some breaks. I thought I'd share some of the things that people didn't get to see, possibly. I, I joined him, like, at the halftime, basically. So, at the halftime, we got a call from Jordan uh, Hutema, who was, who was making sure that he wasn't streaming the game. And he was just, like, he wanted, he wanted to make sure that he doesn't get, like... Uh, because that's a, uh, like, a,
1: you get, oh, yeah, you get yeah. dinged for that. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. So he she wanted to make sure. And then he goes, she goes, uh, oh, can you call me right after the game? And she was like, he was like, I can't call you right after the game. I got to talk about the game after. So they were like, and then they, <laughs> and they, so they part. And then when they were missing those chances early in the second half, he was just losing it. Like, he goes, come on. And at one point, he was like, Tae-on, you got to slide. You're trying to score pretty goals, just slide and just hit the ball in the net. And then uh, he was seeing Sam and is playing like a young Marcello. So he was yeah. like, like he was saying that, the, the, uh, like he was saying, where is, did the, all this skill come from? Because he hadn't seen it before, right? So he was like that. Um, uh, he, at, at one point, he loved that no one was wearing his number nineteen. Then somebody told him somebody was. I think it was Liam Miller, and then he got he, he kind of got a little sad there. Uh, but <laughs> so I think he was just acting. there. Like, I think he knew already. Um, and then he, then one hilarious part is he's at one point he started talking about who's not won't be there in twenty twenty six. Like he was saying, Oh, team is they're gonna retire and is not gonna be there. And then he got sad, and then he goes, do not want to talk about it anymore <laughs> about the players that will be in 2026. And then yeah, and I showed you the clips about him yeah. tearing up after the third goal and all this stuff. And uh, Oh
1: man, it's like it's hard not to watch that and tear up yourself. Like to see yeah. that passion and that enthusiasm. And I'm sure some
2: of his like people and Bayern teammates were like probably telling him like you was saying people were telling him that. Canada's not going to qualify. I guarantee some of the Bayern teammates probably were telling them the same thing. Yeah. And, and and then at the end of the game, he got a phone call from his mother. And and that was, yeah, that was very silly. Really shared
1: that was lovely. Yeah,
2: yeah that, was a, that was a... And he, apparently all the Davies family will be going to Qatar.
1: Oh. Should, should okay. we maybe change our surnames to Davies see if he brings us along? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm up for that, if it's a free trip <laughs> to Qatar. I, yeah, it, it's infectious watching it. And... He's just such a such a wonderful young guy, and we were so lucky to to see him and speak to him and get to know him a bit when he was here in Vancouver, and I'm just delighted for him. I am, it is sad when you think of some of the top Canadian players that, will have never played at a World Cup, and it's the same in Scotland, like, we haven't been at a World Cup since 98, so we've had a whole generation, maybe two generations, that haven't seen us there, fan-wise, but also we've... There's been so many top players that have never played at a World Cup. So I I think all these young guys appreciate this opportunity and what it means in their careers. John Herdman and what he's done to this programme. Now, there was a lot of raised eyebrows when Herdman got the job. There was people that said uh, uh, someone that's been in women's football can't take on the men's team. I didn't doubt that. I wasn't sure how some of the male players would maybe take some of his motivational methods. But I think all the young guys have really bought into it and what he's done. And someone said to me, I was having a chat with someone, just by DM, and he said, any manager could have had this young group of players and taken them to a World Cup. I I don't agree with that. I don't either. No. I
2: I I think I think there were probably some managers that could have done
1: it but I don't think any manager. I don't no. think this was this he, I think that's disrespectful to what Herdman brings to this team and to this program.
2: And, and 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 he he he's he's a player manager where he's he's able to get the most out of the players and I I think a lot of people were were saying that he's not tactically sound. I thought his tactics in a lot of games over this qualifying window were very sound and he played When he needed to play fast, he played fast. When he needed to slow it down, he got the players to slow it down. I think he played it perfectly.
1: I mean, in the 15 years that I've been here, Zach, there's been a lot of head coaches at the national team. And he's just brought such an enthusiasm. And again, I said about Fonzie being infectious. It's an infectious quality. You listen to him and you believe everything that he says. You believe everything's possible. He said that they would get to the World Cup. And Atiba was asked that after the match. When did you start believing? Because John said it four years ago. And Atiba said, probably just a year ago.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know if they showed it on the broadcast, but after they went, ran to the field at the, the, the end of the game, right at the 90th minute with no time added. Um, yes. After all that, actually, Herbman was the first one who ran to the supporter end to celebrate um, and, and kind of go, go crazy with, uh, not in the fans, but like in front of the fans. And uh, he has done something incredibly special. I, I, I agree with you, Steve, when you said, you know, uh, you know, Michael, I think you said it too, but I think we sometimes we can over inflate or underemphasize, overemphasize or underemphasize the role a coach can play, right? We see lots of club teams and even big national teams where you're like, how could how could this group of players get these results? Like they're so poor and yet the players are so good, right? Um so to say that anyone could have got good results with this Canada team, I would agree with you guys that, no, I don't think that's the case. And and more importantly, I think I think that that kind of attitude, I think I agree with you, is disrespectful, Michael. And it, 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 it shows the lack of understanding of how he has presented a vision and an approach to these players and how they have chosen to adopt it and to live it out. And, you know... And allow that to shape them as players and as a group. and is reflected, I think, both not just in the sound bites that they give to the media of them, maybe repeating the things that they're talking about as a team, but when you uh, when you watch them as a team, when you see them together, when you see some of the more um, off the field casual kind of interactions and stuff, you see them, I think, living out these kind of principles and these values that that this group has. And I think it's a testament to Herdman and his staff for how they've chosen to go about, you know, building this team and and, and creating, uh, you know, a culture. You know, we talk this a lot about with Cincinnati FC oh, or yes. Cincinnati. They created this culture that they they as a team, as a squad, will function in certain ways, will treat each other in certain ways, will value certain things, and it's really, really evident.
2: If people want to ask about, like, want to see an example of what good pillars look like and columns and stuff like that and that kind yeah. of stuff, this is this is the way this team was built and and they through, even through failure, uh, or like Haiti, you get the gold cup. They used that and they the uh, and there were some other games too that they didn't do well in or they might have underperformed, and he used that to uh, not not like change it, but. It, Excel them into the next double and everything like that. And yeah, it, it could have easily fell apart. And this is the thing about John Herdman. He took a team, the women's team, in what I can't remember what what year it was. What year it was, it was the World Cup in Germany?
1: 2011 or 2011? T- yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, he took that team that was so down because of their performance. They were expected to do stuff in that in that World Cup, and they they crashed hard. And they he brought them back really quick. And he's he just and and his fingerprints are on this on that team that. Won the gold uh, gold medal this past year, and he's now done this with the thing. I'm, I'm not saying that Bev, Bev Priestman and the coaches before didn't do anything, but his fingerprints are still on that club on the yeah. women's team. And, 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 it, and
0: Bev, Bev would Bev would say that, right? I think Bev said, Bev said yeah. that. Yeah, but she also she also took it to another level, which is amazing. But, yeah, yeah. He, the, I think what he did both with the men's team and with the women's team, Steve, who I think you sort of mentioned there, is really important. Is he came in where there was discord. Where yeah. there was, things were not good. Like, when he came to that women's team, they were coming off uh, uh, the Italian woman, uh, Maracci, I think it was her name. And that was not good. Like, that did not go, like, that era was not good for the players. The players did not click with her approach, and they needed something different. He came in and changed it. And herdman I think, did something similar with the men. Where well, Yeah, I mean, know, he's talked about there being
1: before. fights at training and stuff, and... Now now it's a brotherhood, it's a band of brothers. Milan said after the match that it felt strange with Fonzie not being there because he said one of her brothers is missing and it's not the same. So they look at it all as... Also Milan said he was disappointed because Bayern wouldn't let Fonzie come just for two or three days. Which is disappointing, but again guess... yeah. He, he he mentioned
2: that that they have because they have, have uh, follow up appointments that he wasn't mm-hmm. able to travel. That's the main reason. Uh, but the uh, the thing is, is about this is like he puts the players in a position of power where yes. they are able to um, um, narrate their own story and stuff like this in this like qualification and in in their performance and everything. And there is a danger where you know the the term uh, the inmates running the asylum. There is a danger of that. So he runs a really good balance of having the players in power and 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 giving them that leash where they can they can feel like they they're part of the team and they're part of the decision making process.
0: Yeah, that's fine lines. I think there. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: The last thing I'll just say on Herdman, what he's done is is magnificent. There's there's just one other man that's taken Canada to, to a World Cup. He's written himself a place in Canadian football folklore with what he did with the women's program he's taken it a step further and fantastic what he's achieved as a coach I we didn't get a chance to they didn't put him up on, on the Zoom after the game I was hoping to ask whether he was more nervous watching his son make his professional debut on Saturday night or was he more yeah. nervous at, at this game because I, I think he was pretty relaxed at this and then Kyle's goal obviously just kind of really made him relax but I mean You look at the standings with one game ago, Canada's going down to Panama next week. Panama are now out of World Cup qualification. It's like they just crashed and burned 5-1 defeat to the US today. US basically, barring them absolutely getting a shitload of goals against them, they're through along with Canada. Mexico are pretty much through again, unless they have a stunning result against El Salvador. And Costa Rica banging some goals against the US. It looks like Costa Rica just made such a late run that you just wonder where did they go wrong for Panama.
0: Yeah. Well, well the only score I don't know from today is what happened with Honduras and Mexico.
1: One 0 Mexico, seventieth minute uh, goal. Again, Mexico have squeaked through so many games in this qualifying.
0: I was really hoping for a draw or for uh, or for. Honduras uh, to pull that off, so that Costa Rica could leapfrog Mexico. But oh well. Yeah,
1: but it's it's looking good. Last thing I just want to say about Canada in this part: the abuse that Mark Anthony Kaye got online after his sending off midweek. It's it's just appalling, and we've we've talked about it before. The abuse that Jordan and Fonzie get for being in a a mixed race relationship and stuff, and. Uh, It's, it's just, it's sad that it's 2022 and we're still talking about these issues. When I first started AFTN as a fanzine back in 1989, we worked closely with the Kick Racism Out of Football campaign and they would send us like free insert fanzines to to go out with our fanzine and you're going back 89, 90, 91, we're doing all this kind of stuff. And it still exists in the game and society, and I don't know. It just it baffles me. I hope that Mac hasn't been too upset by it. Yeah, it was a little bit of stupidity from him to, to get sent off, but...
2: I mean, he got a lot of support, and unfortunately uh, uh, he's probably used to it, unfortunately. So yeah. he's probably... Uh, but, um, and, and, uh, and he got a lot of support from a lot of people as well. So I think that um, like it, I, it, it'd be more like hurt, like scary if it was a younger player. I think, but I think Mark Anthony he's got a solid head on his shoulders. Um, it's under. I thought it was at first. I thought it was a lot from the Costa Rican fans. I wondered that as well. Yeah, I, but I couldn't tell. Like I, I didn't, I didn't. I'm not on social media a lot, so I saw a couple of remarks, but I didn't see too many.
1: A, a sad state that that this still exists, and when you look at the makeup of the, the Canadian team. And we're going to hear from Nick Dazovich in the next part. And he talks about what a beautiful country Canada is and the makeup of the country with all creeds and all religions and all backgrounds. And it is. And there's a few bad apples. If you see it, report it. Yeah, I,
0: I agree with you, Michael, that, yeah. I mean, I think Mark Anthony's performance and Andy performance on the field was frustrating as a fan. And I think he knows that in urban comments, I think, or, you know, you know, he said, yeah, you realize, you know, you made a mistake, whatever, but it's part of the game. It happens. We we love you. We support you, whatever. But yeah, someone making an error in a football match is no, is no excuse for someone to racially abuse them. Like this is, it's a, it's appalling. Uh, I haven't looked at this stuff, but I heard from people that maybe it was like, I don't if these were like fake accounts or people just making up accounts so they can't be, You know, they're not like their primary talents or something. But but regardless, that doesn't matter either. This kind of thing can't happen. Like, it's, it's, it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Hopefully, we won't be talking about stuff like that again. It's a great time to be a Canadian soccer fan. The World Cup cannot come quick enough. I just can't wait for the draw coming up very soon as well. It's going to be so exciting. I'm already looking forward to my, my Panini sticker collection. I'm going to be just buying every single thing possible. I've got a lot of stuff from around the 86 World Cup, so I'm going to maybe dig that out and do a, do some things up on the, the site about it. But that is it for our chat about Canada for this part. We're going to be turning our attentions to the club scene next, and we're going to be looking at Whitecaps FC2, that kicked off their MLS Next Pro campaign as we sit down for a chat with head coach and Canadian Soccer Hall of Famer, Nick Dazovich. We'll be back with that after this.
3: This is Atiba Hutchinson, and you're listening to the AFTN Show.
1: Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM and kicking off this part all the way from Sydney, Australia, although they are more based in Europe these days punk band The Rumjacks Jacks with their new single White Caps thought it was very apt for what we're going to be talking about in this part recommended to us by listener Fully Aroused, so thank you for that, it is a Fantastic song. And the lyrics there, there's Whitecaps coming. And they're coming to a new league. WFC2 are back. They kicked off their MLS Next Pro campaign down in Houston on Saturday night. We'll talk about that game in the next part. But we're just very excited here at AFTN to have the team back. Looking forward to that home opener at Swangard Stadium against Portland Timbers on April 10th. Free! to season ticket holders $10 to everyone else so get along and cheer on the young guys hopefully you got a chance to check out my series of articles over the last two weeks on AFTN just profiling the squad if you haven't, go there now and check it out AFTN.ca it's a very exciting squad that Nick Dazovich has put together looking forward to seeing how these guys develop perform over the course of the season. There's a lot of very promising young talent in there. And the man tasked with leading them to success on and off the pitch is Canadian Hall of Famer Nick Dazovich. Got a chance to sit down with Nick on Thursday afternoon just to chat about the team, the league, the season ahead and a lot more as well. Thank you for coming back on the show, Nick. It's been a while since we we spoke. I think we we last chatted when you first came back into the the Whitecaps fold, and obviously a a lot's changed it in those couple of years. You're now the head coach of the new WFC two team. How looking forward are you to this new season, an actual competitive season, after what the last couple of years have been like?
4: Yeah, I think I think. As a staff we're we're nowhere as close excited as the players are um, you know we've we've grinded it out through the pandemic uh you know we've I've gone from being the 23 coach before development into the 19s and then I had the 16s for a little while you know then back to the, the 23s which then became the mlsnp team so we've had a lot of different moments but we've kept going but you know my I've always felt the hurt of the players because you know when the players look down south a lot of teams didn't stop doing anything they kept playing leagues they kept doing their thing so in an essence our guys have possibly lost two years of development but at the same time we kept them ticking over I thought we did as good as jobs we can do and now I'm really excited for the players to be able to showcase themselves to have that taste and feel of what it means to play In a proper league with standings, where points mean something, you know, we had a little taste against the first team at BC Place, a little kind of that little small little opener where you could see the nerves of the players even that day. Um, But I think it's a great opportunity, and everybody's looking forward to it. You know, and for me as a coach and our staff, we we know that um, you know, yes, the objective is to win games. That's it's a professional league, but the other one is to uh, play a certain brand of football that I'd like the guys to play, and secondly. Um, to get as many guys up to, towards Vanny and the first team, and, and keep pushing those kids. And uh, uh, but it's a great opportunity, and you know, thank you to the club for having this team and giving them the platform. And and uh, yeah, it's it's the start of a of a hopefully a beautiful story for a lot of these players. And and we've got some young staff members alongside me, which I'm excited mm-hmm. to do. That. They can then get a chance to get their feet wet, and and you know, some young good Canadian coaches, and hopefully we can produce some of them along the way as well.
1: Yeah, the like looking at the, the the team like when when we had WFC two before it it was great, and then everything changed, and then a lot of players have lost a a couple of years with COVID and with other stuff. When you look at the under nineteens this past sort of year playing in the Fraser Valley League, with all respect to them, it's not a massive test. Some of the teams, I think, it was fair to say. And then you've got the friendlies that the under-23s have played. You touched on it there, but what exactly is this team now going to mean to the club going forward?
4: Yeah, I mean, for, I think the Fraser Valley has been has actually, has been good for the 19s. I, I agree there might be one or two games that like, okay, it's, you know, and I don't want to be disrespectful, but it's a moment where some of our players that aren't getting minutes get a chance to then at least yeah. get some some really important minutes. But, I mean, there's you know, let's just say Tigers were in that league and, you know, you look at what they've done, they went to, to Edmonton and play CPL team and ended up, you know, three, three game with them. So they, they, you know, you can just see the quality of for the quality and, you know, Valley camp. So there's a lot of teams in that league. So I think there's a lot of good moments for the 19s. Um For me, this team is, you know, for me, growing up, growing up to football, I found the most difficult years was 17 to 23 um, because you're leaving your youth development you're now going to senior team there's not when I played in Europe at a youngster I went to back to Croatia and I played at Dinamo Zagreb and then I wasn't quite ready for Dinamo so I went to lower they had fourth third second first they had all the different platforms so I went down to third division got my feet wet we're here in Canada where do you do where do you go so now that we have this MLS NP we've also got the you know the CPL there where the guys you know end up going and there's good stories of Whitecap, Whitecap Academy kids going to CPL now back in the MLS so it's it's the more avenues we have for kids to play is the better. And I think we lose kids between 17 and 23. So having this here is an incredible environment, incredible a uh, 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 chance for the kids to showcase themselves, but to continually play uh, and to test themselves. The MLS NP will be a competitive league. It will be it'll be difficult. Um, but it's a great, great way for them to test themselves. But um, we need we need this and we needed it and we're going to need it in the future and uh, and hopefully it's it, it, it's uh, platform that's going to continue to remain for years and years to come
1: we'll, we'll touch on the league uh, and the team as we go through this for you personally so you came back to the the club in 2019 you you touched on it there you were the 23s and you went to the 19s you back up with basically i guess the, the the 23s what interested you in this job in particular what made you want to move back up again from the 19s
4: you know, I did. I was uh, I was in San Jose with Mark Watson. We were, you know, I was I was an assistant coach, and then when we when he was relieved of his duties, I went along with him in 2014, and I decided to come back home after being in Toronto and then in San Jose and some of the national programs, and I decided to stay home and be, you know, be a dad and be a, a husband and just take care here and just kind of get back in the environment. And so I did the TSN for many years with uh, Peter Shad and things like that for to keep myself. In the game, but then I did a lot of stuff on the side uh, with different individuals. Uh, you know, myself and Andrew Neal had a company together. We had a development company with individual athletes, etc um, Then it came to the point where it's like, and I remember talking to Mark DeSantos, and, you know, he's like, You got a pro license, you know, and he's kind of said to me, like, and I don't, you know, you kind of shit or get off the pot. Like, what do you want to do? do? You want to coach? And he was kind enough to when he called me and he got the job, are you interested in this job? And you know, when Mark came in and I, I had to work with Philip in the past, he was my assistant coach with the U20 team for two years. I had a relationship with him. And then when this opportunity came up, I thought, yeah, I'm ready for this. And I kind of want to get back in the game. Uh, and I want to go back in the game in a, in, a, in, a, in an area where I feel I've got experience, which is that development area, and then and move on from there. So um, it was kind of a no-brainer to get back in. And then, obviously, you know, we had that year of, uh, the 23 team didn't have a league, but we played 32 games, which included games in Mexico, games in England, games in Korea, and then some university games, Tacoma Defiance, things like that. We, had, we actually put together a decent schedule to give the kids. And then from that team, you know, Baldy came through it and Patrick Metcalf and Theo Bear and... Um, Damiano Pichile and Simon Colline and Gio Franco-Facaneri. And, you know, the names go on and on of players that, you know, uh, Odunse, uh, Chituro. So we had, a, we had a list of players that they might think back, wow, it a, wasn't a great moment. What's the point of that 23 team? Like, well, it served a purpose for those kids. And it gave them a platform to play in. And if we didn't have that, maybe we'd be even another year behind. So um, that, that was something that was, as a group, we were very proud that we could develop those players and move them on. Uh, you know, And some got moved up to the first team. Unfortunately, some didn't pan out, but they've still gone on and they're playing in different clubs in Europe. So we did serve a purpose. And I think we need to continue to serve a purpose to these players and give them a platform to play.
1: When you look around the the academy just now, from the 23s all, all the way down, what what's your feeling on the state of the talent coming through just now? We've had it in bursts. When I first started following the academy back in 2011, we had all these top young talents coming through so many of them's in the cpl now then we we've had bursts over the years and it does feel like this is another really good crop of talent that's coming through again
4: yeah i mean i think that they've done a great job here a lot of the coaches they work with the players um i'll be honest and i'm and i'm Vanny certini for me has been uh he, he's an incredible beautiful human he truly is um I've, I've been fortunate to be in his company after three years. Um, even when he was assistant coach to Mark, we spent a lot of time together on one-on-ones talking about football. He's a wealth of knowledge. He's an incredibly humble person. Um, he's passionate about the game. I think by him being with the football club right now in the, in the coaching methodology department, which he's also part of, and he's got a lot to say uh, because of him here, a lot of the young coaches will become very good coaches, very good coaches under his guidance. Um, again, he's very, very uh, humble. He lets you do what you want to do. Uh, he's very open to different discussions. He's not a my way or the highway scenario. Um, every team can play the way they want in the academy, uh, which is great because it gives every coach an idea to play his own way, to, to kind of experiment with things. So, uh, you know, and I think alongside that, it's helping with the development of the players because I feel the coach is getting stronger and stronger every day and a lot has to do with Vanni Sartini um uh he's really an amazing um, amazing human and amazing individual and you guys know you deal with him quite often and yeah um he's an incredible like i said I, I, you know he's, a, he's an incredible person to be around uh, i've learned i've learned so much in the last few years as you know an elder statesman but he still taught me a lot and how to look at the game differently and and uh it, it's been it's been an eye-opening experience being with him uh and then in saying that with the talent i think that we always talked about, okay, let's let's try to let's try to look at a local talent first and foremost. And you know, when you look at the game that we played with against um uh the White Cats first team, uh that one game, I think there's like on the pitch, I think there was somebody mentioned it might have been Luca Patra from BC Soccer because obviously it's something he's proud of, but there might have been 11 or 13 BC SPL players there. So there that's a really healthy number. So what we want to do is hopefully try to do give the local talent the opportunity. be part of our programs but at the same time we're still looking elsewhere obviously we've got our academy centers where you know there's some incredibly good work to be done right through the right through Canada so it's still one of our options but I think we're starting to feed into our own backyard a little bit more I would say um but uh there is talented kids um we just gotta keep we got you know we gotta keep keep doing our job and keep engaging the local communities and 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 hopefully have them start continue to give us those players and things like that but I, I think i think there's a i think it's a healthy stream of players for sure i'm very careful saying golden generations or this is this crop's greater because it's every time we give those kids that that label of golden generations they're now not different i like no no you're not a golden generation for me the golden generation in mexico is u17 win the world cup that's a golden generation mexico's u20 win a world cup that's a golden mexico wins olympics that's a golden generation um, the team that we have, in, a, you know, the Canada national team, we could become a golden generation in Cap situation and then we'll see what happens later on. But so there's a lot of exciting times ahead. Um, and you can see just how many kids are, our national teams are it's scary talented right now. Like, oh, yeah, it's, it's incredible, you know? And I'm telling you, I, if I was in that World Cup draw, because we're going to get in, but if I was in that World Cup draw, I wouldn't want her to face us <laughs> right now. I really wouldn't. It's an incredibly gifted team.
1: Yeah, I, I'm hoping if Scotland get there, that Scotland avoid Canada, because it's like, I don't fancy our chances of getting past Canada. And I, there'll be a few countries, especially European countries, that don't fancy that. No,
4: I would I would agree with this. So it, it's, look, we're all the way through. It's an exciting time for the, for, for the yeah. club, for the country. Uh, I think with the pandemic on its, on its way out, and which we'll hopefully gets some kind of normal life, I think we're crossing the border tomorrow, which... I haven't been on a plane in over two years, so it's going to be an interesting moment for me too. Yeah. So I let alone the kids that are going on a flight to Houston and playing on a, you know, I think the game's the game of the week on the MLSN. Yeah. So, you know, now it's like a little added uh, tension to the players, maybe an anxiety and a little bit of stress, but my job as a coach is to put them in stressful situations to hopefully they can come out of those on the better side that we can then grow them as athletes. As so, if they get to the first team it doesn't feel as daunting as it should you know
1: so when you're looking at the young players coming through so obviously we've loaned out a couple of guys cam habidulas over at pacific david Egbo's gone down to the usl so when you're looking at these guys coming through what is the discussion like and how do you decide right this guy's going to be mls next pro this guy's going to go on loan to the cpl this guy's maybe going to go down the college route this guy's going to go somewhere else on loan
4: <laughs> their their discussion every player has a different has a different path but a different story um and we have to be careful of picking the right one and helping that player choose the right one listen if if there's a kid that has got a scholarship from harvard waiting for him that's going to it's it's worth three four hundred thousand u.s you really think heavy about that one right because he's still going to be playing football he's still going to be able to get his education he's still going to come back to our into our into our you know into our academy later which may be first team so we have to be careful what we do um Look, the kids that are part of the MLS Next Pro are kids that even if we feel there's a 5% chance of being part of the first team one day, we'll, we'll continue to develop them. Um, we talk about um, the players' understanding. I call this a bus stop. You know, for me, it's like you're in the MLS reserve team, second team, one or two years max. If there's a young, young player that we've, we've tasked and he's with us, then maybe he gets two or three years for me as you come in you try to prove yourself if you can make the first team if they see value they keep you if not we loan them out again or push them in a different direction mm-hmm. um you know and i think players like you know like cam and like I said and david Egbo, th- those are different they're first team players mm-hmm. you know they're signed players uh so they have a different pathway these guys were signing kids in the mls next pro uh that's we're thinking if they have a if they have an, an opportunity to one day play at the whitecats we take a look at them we give them a chance to grow if not we move them forward so, and, and, and we we don't just want to move them forward saying, hey, thanks for coming. Good luck in the rest of your life. We want to say, hey, here's our roots. We've got college recruits working with them. We've got local, obviously, everybody's got an agent now, but they, hey, listen, there's other opportunities in CPL, in other leagues in the States, in Europe, et cetera. So we're trying to help everyone when they leave here to try to facilitate something. Um, I don't think there's, there's no clear pathway. I keep telling the kids at at 19 or 18 years old, 18 I was working construction as a laborer in Vancouver. At, at 20 I had a professional contract in Dina Mosag. How did it happen? It it happened. And there's there's different determination factors how it got to be there, why it happened. But from digging a ditch at 18 and banging hammers, I was in Dina Mosag playing with guys like Boban and Dava Shuker, who were top players back then. And, and, you know, and no one believed it. I went on my own. No one knew I was there. And even when I returned home after signing, no one even knew I had been a player. You know, they thought I was still working construction here locally. So it's like when someone says, well, the pathways are nice. It goes from 13 to 15 to 17. The pathway, to me, the pathway is very rocky and very bumpy. And um, I think when they have moments, um, um, you know, uh, pitfalls and that, and those are the moments when, they, they grow and become, what I say, pros in that, you know. I think every every success is is paved through failure. And I think the more failures you get and the more times you can bounce back for the failures. And and that's what I want to instill in the kid that if you fail with me, you keep going,
3: you
1: know. But when you look at the squad, a lot of them you've known through the academy, a lot of them you've known from Mountain United going all the way back there. We won't talk about all tons of different players just now because we don't have too much longer. But I, I want to talk about the fact that obviously your son is in the squad. How difficult is that, being a dad and being his coach? Good question.
4: Um, well, like I said, I don't, I don't like to, I don't like to. I know the question is going to come up because then I always say just refer to Bob Bradley, ask him what it was like. He's got more experience than me, I'm sure. In it. Look, the bottom line is when we when when we're at work, he's he's a player in the Whitecaps, right? Number 56. He does his thing. And we have a we have a we have a kind of an unspoken rule at home we don't talk football. Right? Right. If we talk football, it's more like, hey, did you see what Messi did or did you see what yeah. We don't talk about the game. It's an unwritten rule. We don't and that stems back from a mountain days. Um, I never talk football to my kids and my other kids, a basketball kid. And uh, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't analyze his games. I don't do that. Um, you know, I uh, treat him like any other player on the team and simple as that, you know, and uh, you know, and he, what he does, he does on merit. And it's like any other player. So it's one of those ones that I'm, you know, like one thing I said, and I, and I told them one day in a dress room, so we, we do fight, not me and my kid, but me and the team, there's moments of, uh, but we're family. I told all the guys who walked in and said, look, I love you guys, but you're part of my family and I will do whatever I can do to protect you guys and to support you guys. But families fight and if families don't fight. It's not healthy and you fight and you make up and you get better. And, and I think that's something that I've instilled in the team is we want to push each other. We want to make sure we drive each other. And when we do get to a moment of confrontation, we want to have it out in the right way and grow and become better. And like I said, I don't, um, it, it, again, it's probably harder on my kid than on me. I, I don't really care that he's my son in that, in that sense. Yeah. You know, I don't look at him that way. Um, and, uh, you know, that's just the way it is. But, uh, yeah, it's – but ask Bob Bradley.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I've only seen him play a couple of times, and he, he's impressed me. I, I don't like the hair band, but obviously as someone with no hair, I don't like hair bands, man buns, anything like that. But yeah.
4: – <laughs> You can talk to him about that, not about me. I'm, I'm good. I am I'm had long hair down the back. I know,
1: that's what I was going to say.
4: <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he's doing it because of that. I just think it's just some whatever. But It's all good, whatever they want to do.
1: So this league, no one really knows what to expect from it right now because some teams might be putting lots of older guys, first-team guys really going for the win. Some guys, it's going to be younger academy guys. Do you know what even... To, to expect from this league this year or is it just a kind of feeling out year?
4: I think the league will be using different platforms for different organizations like for instance if you know if we're at home and not traveling on a commercial flight and being in you know and, and that's not nothing wrong I'm glad we're doing that to be honest but what I'm saying is if we're at home and I'll just because of the situation we're in either a Ryan Gold or a Brian White or Eric Godoy need 20-30 minutes and we're at Burnaby probably it might not be a bad idea to give them a little bit of moments and you know, Hey, let's get them back up the pace. That's what the reserve teams are there for in that aspect. And then the other side of it is, is that if we're completely down our reserve team, I'd be more than happy for that. So I, I'm, and we're, we're here to, we're here to help the help the first team and they're here to help us. I think, but I'd be crazy to think that some teams aren't going to drop five, six, seven, eight first team players in the, in the team. It happened to us when we were in Portland a few years ago for the tournament for the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we went to play the first, the reserve team. And, the coach said, "Hey, listen, I got to play the first team play for the first 30 minutes." But I tell you what, the boys did incredibly well because it's a great opportunity for the kids. You know, hey, do you want? Would you want to play against somebody's first team? Absolutely. So there's no fear there. That's actually, I think, and sometimes it actually works detrimentally for the team with the first team players because some are like, I don't want to play this reserve game. What's so, so, up? You know, I I've been in a few in Scotland. my did come back from injury. It's like the last thing you want to do is be out in some reserve park at eight o'clock at night or on a Tuesday night with a pissing down rain, and it's like but you had to do it to get back in the, in the game shape. so it might be the same scenario for some of the players um either way when we walk on the pitch we look across we'll see 11 or 10 orange jerseys who's in it without being arrogant we don't really care we're going to stick to what we do and and whatever happens at the end of it we have it'll happen and we'll go from there but yeah it'll be it's a good it was a good question to what happens for sure
1: I was on a call earlier today with Pamadou down at North Texas just to kind of catch up with him a little bit. So he was asked about the fact that there's penalty shootouts now in this league, so no game will finish with a draw. He was very much not a fan of that. How do you feel about it? Yeah, you know,
4: it's funny. I mentioned that to the kids and the team, and they were like, yes! So I thought, okay, if the kids like it, it's not about us, it's yeah. about guys, right? So there's different ways to look at it. Listen, I played in the C- the APSL or A League, whatever it's called back in the day. We had a shootout, t- thirty-five yards, yeah. running the games. Um, to be honest, if if they want to make that as an as enticing moment, I don't really care. It's great. If the kids, for me, if the guys like it, then let, it's. I'm all for it. For me, it doesn't really matter. I used to play in Croatia third division when we had to finish games in penalty situations because. At that time, we were, it was thought of being a very corrupt league. A lot of games are being sold. Ah. Were to limit the sold, they had to do penalty kicks. This is a different situation. This is basically, uh, let's see what happens. We've been practicing and we do take all our notes and we do all our graphs and we've been taking a lot of penalty kicks and we try, but it's nothing like taking a penalty kick at the moment when there's a camera on you and things like that. But yeah. we're looking forward to it. We're looking at the guy, like I said, if the guys like it, I'm all for it. I won't see I think it's stupid or dumb or, hey, Why not? If it gives them an extra bit of incentive and let them have a good laugh. The other one is you can go on road trips and pick up two points. And you think about winning three or four tied games, you could be in the playoffs because it was extra three, four points. So, you know, our guys have been training with it. They love it. So if they love it, I'll love it. Let's go. Let's get on with it.
1: Last thing, you played with the national team 13, 14 years. You're in the Canadian Hall of Fame. When you look back at your time playing, did you ever think Canada would be at the stage it's at now? We're recording this before the Costa Rica game is going to go out after the Jamaica game. By which time we should be at the World Cup. Did you see this moment happening?
4: You know what? I'll be honest. Like if we go back and I don't the 1994, we were we finished second in our group. Well, that in today's hexagon, whatever you want to call it, national octagon, whatever it is, we would have been in the World Cup because we finished second. Yeah. Right behind Mexico, U.S. were already so they had to go through the back door. So even in '94 we had a very strong team. Then in '98 we aged out very quickly, and then by 2002 things were broken. The system was broken. Mm-hmm. Um, did I ever think we'd be this deep? No, I don't. I don't. I think there was no doubt. I ever thought that Canada's going Canada was and is a good team. Yes, we had a lot of talented footballers, but not with this depth. This depth is, is crazy depth. And you think back a couple of number of years ago, it wasn't the, um, I think they had more kids from the, the the private academies, like your Sigmas and your teams from back East that were representing their academies in the national team than the actual professional academies. So they have a lot to do with what's happening. So do the professional academies? That was what happened in Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, then all the different academies and CPL. And then League One, when you look at how many of those kids play League One in Ontario, that are playing for the national, team. it's actually staggering. So we've as a country grown up. Um, we've got a great leader in John. He truly is a, a creator of culture. Um, he's done an amazing job with that group group of players. Um, his buy-in with the players, the what's he done with them, it's 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 impressive. And then he's got a, a right good team. Like, I mean, you know, but saying that, he's got part that I love about Canada, you got stories like you know, Milan had to leave. Former Yugoslavia the family left I think and then you've got guys like you know, Alfonso Davis who's been in a refugee camp. We're a, like we're a beautiful country. we truly are we're, it's a magnificent country a country full of diversity, full of different ethnic groups full of different religions and we're all coming together and it was we, we always talked about it you know I talked to Craig a Law and those guys and they always said man if we can get our act together with the different people that we have in this country, now we could be scary. And I think right now I hate to be too, but we're scary. <laughs> we're a good team and we will finish top with it. We will finish top. No, it's, it's, it's really exciting to be part of a country. That's it. That's in this because everybody's feeding off the same energy. Right. But it comes down to the leadership. Uh, John's got a lot of great, great vision. there, great ideas and, and, and I'm happy for him and um happy for the group. And, and yeah, I'm looking forward to the, to the draw. Like you said, hope they don't get Scotland or Croatia.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, well, thank you so much for your time today, Nick. Good well, luck with the well, season. Look forward to covering the team this year. I'll let you go and watch the World Cup qualifiers just now. And yeah, cheers. take care. All the best. Take care. Thanks. Bye. WFC2 head coach Nick Dazovic there. He's got a lot of experience to impart to this group of young players and building a really good, solid family unit. As a player himself that went over to Europe at that young age that he talked about there, and he's had the experiences of playing in Europe, playing in Canada, playing for the national team at various international stages. This is a guy that this group can learn so much from. And it was interesting as well, him talking there about how the young coaches at the club are going to learn a lot as well under Vanni Sertini. That's what this league is about. It's for finding that footing to have a look at these young talents, decide who needs to stay within the club setup, what ones might have to go out on loan or what ones are just going to have to cut ties with altogether. We've got our first look at the team down in Houston on Saturday night, their season opener. We will be back talking about that after this.
5: Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer
6: Show. Been sad. I was scared but my values
1: Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM and kicking off this part, it's that sad time of the month where we come to the last song from our Artist of the Month for the month of March, out of Glasgow, Scotland. It was the Delgados. That was the song, the opening song, from their second album, 1998 Peloton. And that was Everything Goes Around the Water. Hope you've enjoyed listening to Delgados this month. We will be back with a new Artists of the Month next time round. But let's get back to the football chat now. Just before the break there, we heard from Whitecaps FC2 head coach Nick Dazovich. And WFC2 kicked off their MLS Next Pro campaign on Saturday night at a rugby stadium in Houston. Who knew one of them existed? But apparently they do. Aviva Stadium... Went down to a narrow 1 0 loss, narrow on paper. On the pitch, they were pretty much out hustled, definitely outperformed, by a much livelier Houston side that probably should have won by more than the one goal that they did. The only goal of the game came in the 20th minute. Fantastic free kick from Marcello Palomino, beat Isaac Bomer, all ends up. Flew into the top left corner. Great strike, great free kick. I'm not saying Bomer would have been able to get to it, but as he lined up for the free kick, I said to my wife, who was sitting beside me on the couch, with no interest in the game, but I like to talk to her during these games anyway, I said, oh, he's got an awful lot of space to his left as we look, his right. And there was, and that was exactly the space that Palomino found. Bomer was scrambling to try and get across the goal but couldn't get to it. Bomer did have a, a number of good saves though throughout this game. A deflected effort in the second half almost put Houston 2-0 up. And the Whitecaps were just simply not at the races in this one. Going into late in the game, they hadn't even registered one shot on target. They did finish the game with one shot on target. Because they had a bit of a, a late foray in the in the closing minutes. A little bit of a flurry. Kind of turned the, the pressure up a bit in the last five minutes plus stoppage time. Carving out a few half chances. But I think Houston were very deserved winners from this one. But it's building blocks. It's all about just starting this team. Getting them finding their feet. Getting them to get some chemistry finding out what players are maybe going to thrive best at this level. As Nick Dazovich talked about in the last part, different teams are going to use this league in different ways. The Whitecaps have gone very young. They've got a lot of their academy guys moving up to this team. Only two first-team players loaned to the squad for the season so far, that being goalkeeper Isaac Bomer, and centre-back Matteo Campagna. Houston as well did have a a lot of academy products in this team, but they also had a a few first-team guys in as well, including the match winner, Marcello Palomino. And it it feels like it it could be a a tough first season for WFC too, but it's also going to be a great test for them, because through adversity in a lot of cases, you kind of find out just what the mental makeup of a lot of these players are. But they certainly weren't disgraced in this first appearance, far from it. There there were a lot of positives to take from it. They were outshot 22-8, to eight, Houston having six on target to the, the Whitecaps, one. They had the better of the possession, but their passing game was good. They moved the ball around well. Defensively, they looked very solid. The, there was a couple of really good standouts there. Christian Campania for me, is... The guy from this group that I think could be the guy that gets the next MLS homegrown deal, he's certainly got that potential. Very talented centre-back, tough tackling, and it's great to see the Campania brothers in the back, in that back three playing together. Kind of warms the cockles off your heart. Ali Ahmed as well, I thought had a a really good game as wing-back. Especially in the later stages, he was really getting forward. And I think that's what they need to try and do. Get him more involved in the game. Get him going forward, running at the guys. Because where it really fell down for WFC 2 was in the middle of the park. Well, I'm sure they do kind of want to mirror the first team in a number of ways, but that's probably one of the ways that they don't want to mirror the first team. But the midfield just really struggled to get much going. There was a lot of passing without purpose. They weren't really putting Houston under a lot of pressure. And um, the intensity and the the penetration in the final third was severely lacking. There was very few real goal-scoring threats from the Whitecaps. Jay Herdman had a, a chance, Owen Antoniak fired one over as as well towards the end of the first half. But what you've got to remember, is the first outing. They've played a couple of games together as a, a group pre-season friendlies against CPL teams. Yeah, they had some, some friendlies last year as well, but that was against lower opposition. This is a team that for a number of these guys, this is going to have been the first competitive match that they've actually played in about two years. So you've got to keep that in mind as well. So I think there's a lot to take from it. It's building blocks. And we'll just kind of see what they've learned from this going into next week's game, they're away to Real Monarchs. Then coming back to Vancouver for their home opener on Sunday, April the 10th at Swangard Stadium. Two o'clock kickoff, a home to the Timbers. Hope to see a lot of you along at that one. So this is still a finding-out season, really, about the team. I guess it's kind of like a feeling-out season, really, because nobody really knows what to expect from the league, the quality of it, etc., etc., at this point. Also, as I touched upon, different teams are going to use this league in different ways. Now, Vanni Sartini was speaking to media during the week and gave a little bit of insight as to how the Whitecaps are going to be using the league and this team. Here's what he had to say about that.
7: Well, it works very well. We are very close in the sense that, uh, you know, we uh, we work in a way that uh, players can come up training with us, players can go down training with them or playing with them. Uh, this week we'll have... Uh, Isaac Bomer and Matteo Campagna that will play with uh, with them down. We it's gonna be it's uh, it's a constant uh, talk and relation every day between the staff between uh, me and Nick between also the other member of the staff and there's a there's a very good not only with this, the second team there's a very good uh, uh, I would say openness and uh, clear communication from the with the first team to to the academy. At the same point, I want to highlight that. Uh, don't expect to see the same thing or the same identity or the same tactical idea with the second team, with the first team, because I think that uh, uh, Nick and his staff, they have the chance, uh, they, should, they, they, they deserve the chance to develop their own ideas of the game and to try to, to be successful with the player that they are at their, uh, their disposal and not to play a photocopy on the game of, uh, of the first team.
1: Vanny Sartini, there just chatting about the MLS Knicks Pro League. It's it's going to take a, a few weeks, I think, for the team to find their feet, for the players to find their feet, get their groove. But there's a lot of exciting talent in this team. A lot of guys that I'm looking to see at this next level. So MLS Knicks Pro finally here. The action actually got underway on Friday night. In this league, there's 21 teams for this inaugural season. 20 MLS 2 teams and one standalone team. That standalone team being Rochester, out of the ashes of the Rochester Rhinos. Partly owned as well by Jamie Vardy. And they headed along to St. Louis City on Friday night. St. Louis, of course, coming into MLS next season. So this is kind of an ideal Warm up season for them to have a look at a few guys, especially some of their homegrown guys and the local talent. St. Louis had former Whitecaps trialist Kwame Awua in their lineup. He got the start in this one, and St. Louis came away 2 0 winners in front of an excellent crowd. It was a sellout crowd of just over 6,000, taking in that historic win for St. Louis. And I talked about how different teams are going to use this league in different ways. I think you're also going to see quite a big disparity in crowd sizes uh, around the league for this one as well. Now, one other game I just want to talk about took place on Saturday night in Texas at the same time as the Whitecaps were playing Houston. And that was Pamedou Cars, North Texas, taking on Minnesota United 2 in Arlington. Pass side coming out 3-1 winners and a very entertaining game. I kinda of had that on the the same time as the WFC 2 game as well and certainly a lot more action in that one. Both teams really going for it generate a, a number of chances. I think Minnesota will feel quite hard done by that they they've come away on the wrong end of a, a two-goal defeat. But Pamaduka headed to Texas in January to take up the reins at North Texas SC. And it surprised a a lot of people, not so much that he left Pacific FC after landing the the championship with them last year in the CPL, because I think when he had done that, everyone knew he was an ambitious coach and they kind of expected him to, to move on and look at the next challenge. I think a lot of us hoped he would maybe do one more year at Pacific take them on a run in the the CONCACAF league just to to see what he could do with that. But Pa did move on and he was interviewed for the head coaching job in MLS at Dallas. Didn't get that one, but he did land the head coaching job for Dallas's second team, North Texas. So I got a chance to, to chat quickly with Pa on Thursday about his move to Texas and the new challenges ahead. Here's Pa. Hey Pat, at the end of last season, you obviously had a lot of things to mull over and a lot of decisions as to what your next move would be. What was it about North Texas that you felt was the right fit for you as the next step in your coaching career? I mean, uh, obviously we know that we uh, we end up winning up the season last
5: year, and then uh, I would say since the Whitecap games, uh, I think. That open up uh, the eyes of people. What maybe? Oh, what am I? What I am about as a coach, and people followed. And a lot of people have asked maybe for job interview. But for me, the main thing was where can I see fit in my pathway as a coach to the eventual goal that I want to achieve, which everybody knows, which is one day to coach in MLS. But for me, it's about taking my necessary steps to set me up so I'm ready for that chance when it comes. So for me, uh, there was two things. One thing was I've always wanted to live down in Texas since the first time I came with Portland to play in 2013. A lot of people don't know this because I call my wife and I'm like, yeah, I found our home where we can retire uh, when, uh, where, when we don't play and we don't so, settle. But also the other fact is as well as uh, you know being in an organization where you can uh, help develop young players and we see the growth of uh, Dallas, in terms of uh, two my MLS, I've always followed them because this organisation they where I see they're were willing to give chances to to young players, which is very important because um, the young players are the future. So for me, with the plan that Andre had uh, with Dan when we sat down and talked, it made sense to me for my next pathway in my coaching career as well as continue the growth of uh, helping young talent, nurture them so that they're ready for eventual first team or or other places, because um, that's why we coach, so it's to give back, and also to the sun. I enjoy being in the sun, and uh, so that was also important for family-wise as well, you know, because my wife was also, it's important, you know, for me, it's important that also my family is very happy in the place where we are. And when we were in Vancouver, we were very happy, but also there was limited things to do for the family, so... Family-wise, that plays a part for me. Uh, if my family's happy, that gives me a lot of uh, joy to go and do my work. But uh, overall, uh, the basic background, was I've always wanted to live in Texas. So when this opportunity came, there was also a great opportunity, sporting-wise and as well as family-wise. So those are the main reasons.
1: You've gone from being at a club where you've got like the sole control of everything as the head coach and a, a standalone team, to come into a team now where you're you're feeding into a, an MLS side what's been the biggest challenges that you've found with that especially playing out in different cities
5: i mean it hasn't been no difference to me because um don't forget i was always i was in mls for the past 8 years so being in mls you you understand how organisations work uh, but for me as a, a newly coach it was very important to have somebody like Rob Friend, who basically trusted me, gave me the range to 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 learn, right, and and for me to do things uh, as a as a sporting director, signing players, looking for players, working as a scout, you know, building a football club from the ground up, which was fantastic, right. So there was a lot of learning points for me, which now. I don't need to do as much of that because we have people in place who are who are, who are fantastic at their job. With uh, Matt Denny and uh, Andres Zanota, who's who's fantastic at that. And and you, you know me that I love being on the pitch, so that's where that is the biggest thing that I can say. That is the difference. That now my focus is more on the pitch. I don't need to focus more on uh, the external and all the things that you need to do to build a club. But for my growth. It was exceptional because I get to see and how to learn and deal with what upper management does, which sometimes as a head coach, you do not get this opportunity. So that's why going to the Canadian Premier League, but also having somebody like a rock friend as a club owner was fantastic to me because he allowed me to, to keep growing and to learn things, which now I'm coming to an organisation which is uh, basically set. So that makes my life much more easier.
1: It's four months since that championship win. Yeah. When you look back at it now, how do you look back at that your your two years at Pacific, and how have you grown as a coach from from that point of coming in to where you are now in North Texas?
5: Well, I mean, for me, it's 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 like I say, I got an opportunity, you know, uh, which we all know is not always given to minorities, that's the truth of it. So when I got it, it, was for me, it's not even about me, it's about what can I do to make sure that people see that uh, minorities in leadership roles are capable, right? They are capable of doing the things that other people have and take it for granted because they don't see that, oh, it's not equality there. So so for me, it it was it it was just showcasing what I've learned through my career playing, but also what I've learned through different coaches. Which uh, you yourself know, Carl Robinson played a major part in me in in terms of allowing me first to 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 coach at Whitecaps, and then uh, and then go to Cincinnati to to learn, you know, uh, branch off to learn, and then come back to stand on my own feet. So the past two years, I've I've implemented things that I've been taking from my. Uh, twenty plus playing career as well as observing different organizations how they worked and things that i like and things that i think can improve and for me it's a daily improvement about myself to make sure that uh, whatever work i'm doing with whichever team it is to make sure that i leave a mark so that other people can uh, can take over the work but the the past two years has been the most uh, i would say blessing because it's a blessing, and to your point, I won four months ago, but that doesn't count no more. It's a, like it's a new year, it's a new time, and and in football, in the past doesn't doesn't matter because nobody cares about the past. But that's a legacy that is set. That's a legacy that nobody can take away, uh, both for Pacific and for myself and for the players because they were the ones that doing the job, you know. And uh, and for me, those points are the most important thing for me. Is the players. Because the players for me are human beings, which we work together to achieve something. And now there's a legacy left behind. And now that's the thing we're trying to do here with these young players to create a legacy for them so that they understand that players coming behind them and the human being is at one so that we teach them how to be human first, then soccer players. That is the legacy that we want to leave.
1: Thanks so much, Pa. Look forward to seeing you up here in a couple of months too.
5: Oh, that'll be great, mate.
1: Go for a beer. Pam there, just talking about the challenge that awaits him in North Texas. And it is going to be hard, I know, for Pacific fans to, to kind of see him move to this, because for some It'll be maybe seen as a sideways move, for some it might even be seen as a bit of a, a backward step because you've gone from the day-to-day running of a standalone team, as I talked to Pa about there, to being in charge of a second team, but having somebody else kind of feeding into you, giving you players. Sometimes you kind of have to take a sideways step to, to look at the bigger picture and what might lie in your future made it very clear he wants to be a head coach in MLS one day. And the best way to get into that MLS kind of setup is in these two teams. It's like if you're going to move on and you've seen it with a a lot of head coaches that have been promoted from the second teams, not necessarily with their own team, but moving elsewhere, some with a a lot more success under the belts than others. So this is a, a good career path for Pa. If that's his next goal, to be a head coach in MLS, I think this is a fantastic move for him. And watching how his team play, they're playing that exciting, attractive football that, that you would expect from a, a Pamaduka team. And over the last couple of seasons, whenever you spoke to any of the Pacific players, one of the, the big things that they all said was the, the atmosphere that Pa brought to that dressing room, the camaraderie, the brotherhood, the feeling like it was a family and that's exactly what it looks like he's done down in Texas so far. He's just such an infectious personality, he's great to be around, and he's the the kind of coach that you really would go through a wall for. WFC 2 travel to Arlington in Texas to take on North Texas on the 14th of May, before Pa comes up here the next month on the 17th of June, 7 o'clock kick-off at Swan Guard Stadium. Look forward to catching up with Pa then, But it's good, as I mentioned, just to finally see MLS Knicks Pro get underway. All the games are getting streamed on their website, com. There'll be a game of the week every week that will have kind of higher broadcasting standards. This week it was the the Houston WFC 2 game. Not exactly a barn burner to, to kick things off there. But every team will feature at least once as a home side for Game of the Week, so it'll be interesting to see what Whitecaps game they they pick down the road. For most of the games, the broadcasting is going to be done with a a Spideo camera. It's one of those automatic cameras that's kind of on a fixed point. And there's there's different versions of it that have different kind of cameras that that come out of it. But basically, it's automated. Someone can sit and, and just work it. ...from wherever, remotely, in the stadium... ...and just focus in and out... ...and from the games I watched... ...I was a little bit dubious how this would work... ...because I've watched a similar system with Pixelot ...in games in Scotland... ...and at times... They've been a bit of a disaster if the weather was bad, if there was a bald linesman that the, the camera thought was the ball. Sometimes seagulls can can do it off, but from what I saw so far, this Spideyo camera setup is actually very, very good. A Couple of other little interesting tidbits that came out this week about the league. Eight teams, four from each conference, will make the playoffs. And there was a decision that's had a, a bit of a, a mixed reaction so far if games are level after 90 minutes it's not just going to be a share of the spoils and a point apiece it's going to go to a penalty shootout and whoever wins that will pick up an extra point so any drawing team still has a chance to to go home with two points so not quite going back to the old days of penalty shootouts and the old NASL and and those exciting runs from the halfway line in on the goalkeeper. But they're just trying to be a little bit innovative to to try and not have teams basically go and sit back and and try and just get a draw. I don't know how I feel about it yet, I've got to say. We heard Nick Dasvich's thoughts earlier in the show about that, saying that the WFC2 players are are very excited for it. Pamaduka, not so much He was asked about that by Nathan Hill from Big D Soccer during the week. And here's what he had to say about that.
5: No, I will never approach game differently according to it. For me, the game, anybody who knows me, what I've been doing for the past two years is we play our style of football. So the, in the external with the penalties, that doesn't matter to us. We want to go into every game, approach it the way that we play, home or away, doesn't matter to us. We want to attack, we want to be the dominant team, we want to be the forceful team. So there's no, I don't agree because uh, it's 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 double-sided for me. Why? It's uh, If a game ends a tie in football, then the tie, that's it. And uh, we're not playing ice hockey. Hockey, it goes to penalties, you should out, but in football, it has two effects. I know people are saying, oh, we, we, we got to train them for maybe the World Cup or to understand pressured situation, but it has a negative effect. Because if the game is tied, you go to penalty and that guy that loses the penalty, he will also feel a, ne- a negative effect because he's going, I let my team down. So, what, <laughs> where is the training in that part? If you understand what I mean. Even the best players, if you go back in the history of a uh, penalty shootout, you can train as much as you can talk about pressure, but even the best players uh, miss penalty. And we had a last Mbappe, a World Cup winner, lost the penalty in the in the Nations League, right? And uh, Marco, uh, what is his name? Baresi missed, Baggio missed. You know, uh, there are several stars that have missed penalties. So, with that concept, is 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 what? It's not a football concept because everywhere around the world, after ninety minutes in a regular season, ends up with a tie. Simple as that. Can you imagine if we start have to ask the Serie A or the Premier League to to do penalty shootout right after the game so I understand the concept of what people want to achieve but in playoffs that's fantastic but in the regular season game no I don't agree with it
1: So Pamaduka not a fan of games going to penalty shootouts when they finish drawn in MLS Next Pro let us know your thoughts on that do you think it's a good idea is it going to make it more exciting is it going to maybe bring a, a younger fan base in Get in touch, as always, on Twitter at Aft in Canada or shoot us an email, Canada at hotmail.com. Last thing I will say about MLS Next Pro, I hate the logo. I hate the font. I don't know how they came up with that font. Is it edgy? Is it trendy? Was it drawn by somebody that was handed a crane because they're not allowed sharp objects? I don't know. Again, let us know your thoughts on that that is it for our MLS Knicks Pro chat. We will be back talking about the proper MLS and a little bit of Whitecaps chat after this.
6: Hi, I'm Carl Valentine. You're listening to the AFTN podcast. Can you hear-
1: Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM And kicking off this part from 2005 It's the Foo Fighters with a title track from their fifth studio album That was in your honour Played in honour of the Foo's drummer Taylor Hawkins That sadly passed away this week Aged just 50 years old Big, big loss to the band, the music community. Just such a fantastic talent, such a great guy as well from stuff that I've read from him over the years and videos that you've watched. Heart goes out to Taylor's family, his friends, the band, all the fans as well. Big Foo Fighters fan, seen them on a number of occasions. It's just so, so sad. R.I.P. Taylor. But we're going to get back to the football chat now and in this last part of the show we're going to be turning our attention back to MLS, back to the Whitecaps and pondering just can they start to turn things around with this two-game homestand that is coming up at BC Place. Sporting Kansas City come to town on Saturday the 2nd, Portland Timbers the following Saturday, two tough games. But they've had a little bit of time off to try and work on things, get some players healthy. By all accounts, Ryan Gould and Brian White will be good to go for that KC game. And they very, very much need them back in this lineup. Got a chance to chat a little bit with Vanni Sartini this week. Just to chat about what he's been working on with the group in this little bit of time off. And a few other things as well. Here's Vanny. I know four games into a season, it's not maybe an ideal time to have a break. You want to kind of just get the new season off and running. But do you feel that this break's come at a a really good time for you? And is it going to give you a chance to reset and try and work on whatever it is that's just not clicking just now?
7: I think yes, it's going to be the right moment. uh, Mainly because we have uh, uh, some players off that uh, they're going to have a week more to... To recover so they will be probably uh, ready to play against uh, Kansas City. In terms of uh, working, I think we we were already in the right path uh, n- improving what they're trying to do. I think last game was uh, with New York uh, probably our best game and uh, it's all, it's, it, it gives us the chance of course to sit down and analyze even more in detail but uh, uh, we are, we are. Uh, uh, I would say convinced that the, uh, the, the 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 way that we are uh, uh, working and uh, how we are approaching the games tactically, it's the right way to do it. We just need to do it better and more consistently for ninety minutes.
1: Now, obviously, you're with the group every day, so you get to see lots of things that we don't get to see. It, it kind of feels, though, that maybe the, the spark isn't there that was there towards the end of last season or, or the intensity. Is that what you're thinking as well? And, and if that is the case, how do you get that back? Is it just down to, to getting wins? Because obviously wins brings that kind of feel-good factor.
7: Yeah, of course, result, results helps. And uh, when they they will arrive, uh, of course, they will help the, the group to even go the, the extra mile the thing is that uh, our job now is to be concentrated on the work because uh, we can control our output sometimes we cannot control the outcome and again if we play keep playing games like we played last week uh, and we make some just little better choices in the final third uh, we win games and uh, it's pretty it's pretty clear and we were in terms of intensity, to be honest, I think the last game was very good, and uh, the, we matched the intensity of one of the more intense teams of the uh, of the league, and we we had chances. I agree with you with uh, with, with we, if you talk about the game in Houston, Houston wasn't good, to be honest, and uh, I think we need to keep working and to. And to have, uh, again, uh, the, the conviction and the belief for the next game in BC Place because the the result will arrive.
1: Talking about decisions in the final third, you've obviously had a chance now to, to look at that two-on-one break that, that you had mm-hmm. with Dajo and Cava. And That's the kind of decision-making, I, I guess, you're talking about.
7: Yes, the that one. But also, I would say, we had five occasions five, Five uh, moment where... I remember, for example, a uh, cross by Pedro from the inside the box. Marcus Godinho at the end of the first half that uh, had the possibility to put the ball in. He didn't do it. Another ball by Marcus Godinho in the second half where we didn't attack the space properly. Daho that actually this time did the right choice and, and played the cutback. And unfortunately, the two guys in the box, they attacked the space at the same time. Uh, I I mean, the the... Uh, uh, the Daho situation on the 2-1 and one, but also other other situation because there were five potential chances and uh, where we could have scored gold and we could have maybe here talking we, with a completely different vibe because we made a result in LA so that's what we need to improve
1: Cheers funny. Vanny Sartini there, just chatting a little bit uh, about what the, the team needs to, to work on to, to turn their fortunes around. So the White Caps are back at it this Saturday at BC Place, Sporting Kansas City come to town, who themselves were quite beat up. But they were one of the few teams to actually play an MLS match this weekend. And KC, Needed an 81st-minute winner from Johnny Russell to give them a 1-0 win over Real Salt Lake. From a Whitecaps perspective, the bad news was that Johnny Russell and Daniel Saloye returned to Sporting Kansas City from injury. They are good to go. The Whitecaps can only really hope now that they're going to get the likes of Brian White and Ryan Gould back from injury, which everything is pointing to that. Peter Vermees said afterwards, and I... I just wanted to read this quote because I feel it's very apt for the Whitecaps. Just because you're losing doesn't mean you're lost. We weren't lost at all. We were just trying to get a routine and trying to get a bunch of guys still indoctrinated that still need time. And then he talked about getting over their injuries. And the thing is, Steve, right now that's the Whitecaps. We've got at least four what I would class as first-choice starters that, that you're missing from matches and other guys that's coming and going in and out of the team. I, I don't think it's necessarily doom and gloom. Obviously, we didn't get you the, on the show last week after that, after that horrible, I was going to say a horrible game at LAFC. They played better against LAFC than they did against Houston, but it, it does mean that they're still looking for their first win. I would say that Vermeesa's comments do echo the Whitecaps. I don't think the Whitecaps are lost just now because they're losing but they do need to turn things around quickly. And what do you see the main focus should be going into this Kansas City game now?
2: I think it's just basically having a plan and sticking to it and and identifying um, where, like, essentially try not to overthink stuff and try to go with a simple plan and try to get your best players on the pitch in the right position. And I think that's the main focus. They got to, it's just because it's not going to be an easy game against Kansas City because they are trying, they look like they're kind of finding the form. Their three losses have been on the road, their two wins have been at home. So hopefully that continues and then the Whitecaps can pick up a win. Uh, Because after this, they got to play Portland and then uh, back on the road.
6: uh, Yeah, it's a tough April.
2: Yeah. And so they, they, they need to get, I'm not even seeing a result. They need to actually win this game. And and show and, and kind of bring it up. The problem is, is um, Kansas City. While yeah, Peter Vermees thing is talking about not being lost but losing games. They're still a very formidable team, even if they are on a, like a losing streak. Obviously, they they've won only two of five, but still a very formidable team. And you never know what team's going to show up on on that Saturday.
1: I bet when you've got guys, dangerous guys, getting back from injury as well, Zach, yeah. that, that doesn't help. Also, like Vanni Sartini, Zach talked about he, he needs the team to be more intense and he saw better signs of that in the LA game, but it, it's the penetration in the final third. It's non existent right now and it's something that they need to get. Having White and Gold back would certainly help in that regard. Right now, I take a a draw next week, but I do agree with Steve. I, we really, really could do with a win to try and like stem the flow a little bit and get back to to winning ways. But I I would take a draw as I sit here right now. But they they have to just be more threatening an attack.
0: I I, I hear what you're saying. You know, in terms of the verbis quote, but I actually feel like the Whitecaps are a little, at least a little bit lost. Like they felt lost in terms of. You know, even like we've talked about these, maybe the first three games more so than the last, but uh, just their formation and identity and roles and kind of stuff. So they're not like completely lost, don't get me wrong, but there has been a hint of like, I felt like they're more lost than I thought they would be. Um, I agree with you that on the injury front, though, for sure, there are several key players that they need back to be competitive in MLS, to have a chance in MLS. And the third thing I'll say is when it comes to attack, Michael, I think the Whitecaps really need... I, well, I think like Vanny just needs to whisper into Cavallini's ear, "Hey, pretend like you're playing for Canada today. Yes. In, the few moments, in the few moments that Lucas Cavallini played for Canada today, you could tell he was enjoying his football. Yep. He was happy to be there. He was uh, somewhat creative. He was good at holding the ball up. He was good at interplay, interchanging with his teammates. And I think he might have even won a challenge and didn't foul anyone that I noticed. Yes. Um, it didn't do anything reckless. So, I mean, if they can get Lucas to play like that, um, then I think that really, really will help them going forward.
1: Yeah. I I was actually, I was chatting to Har during the game. I said, I was glad that Kava got on for Canada because he's been a key part of this programme for a number of years. I thought it was nice that he got that moment during that game in front of the home fans. I thought that was a nice touch. And he, he looked dangerous. And let, let's just hope he can bring that back next Saturday because if he brings that cava and you've got Brian White, who's still obviously going to be a little bit rusty because he has been out, and Ryan Gold the same, but if those three guys, because I've never seen the three of them really all click together, and if the Whitecaps can get that going, hopefully at some stage get Caio Alejandre on the pitch, I, I, sort of defensively with Godoy as well. It, it's a whole different Whitecaps team that that we're looking at. Yeah, but,
2: either either they gotta get uh, Cavallini, uh, like all, like really put in a quick request with MLS to. Change their colors to red, or <laughs> or kind of put uh, Cavallini in hypnosis and make him think that blue is red, and then maybe he'll see that he you know he'll be he's playing for Canada.
1: Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Well, that pretty much is it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. But of course, we can't go without bringing you this episode's wavelength. And I thought I'd keep the World Cup theme going. I wanted to go back to the last time. ...that Canada qualified for the World Cup. Mexico 86. We've played before the Canada unofficial World Cup song from 1986. Oh Canada, we'll proudly play for you. We've played a couple of other songs from the 86 World Cup as well... ...over the years in wavelength. But I are to capture the spirit of 86. And for me, that could only be a Scotland world cup song from mexico 86 this is the scotland world cup squad with big trip to mexico Scotland's 1986 World Cup squad there, big trip to Mexico. Canada were there in 86, they're going to be there in 2022. I'm already excited for all the songs that's going to be coming out for this World Cup. Let's get quite a few Canadian songs done. If you're a band listening to this, if you're a musician listening to this, we'd love to work with you in this regard as well. Get in touch with us, AFT in Canada on Twitter, AFT in Canada at hotmail.com. Let's get a Canadian World Cup anthem done. When I was looking for the, the song to play for this week, I was initially going to go with Stephanie Lawrence, a song written by prog rock legend Rick Wakeman. It was the song that was used at the end of the official 1986 World Cup film and is one of the three official songs from that World Cup in Mexico. It's called A Special Kind of Hero. Of course, we've had a lot of special kind of heroes in this World Cup campaign for Canada. Sadly, though, it's a terrible song, so I ended up not playing it in the end, and we've we've gone with another Scottish one. But that is it for this episode. Just before we go, Steve, let us know any final thoughts, anything that you've learned this week, and where people can find you online.
2: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Wake up speed and... Uh... What I learned is that Kansas City is going to have to up their security because Michael might want to see Johnny Russell in his in, in his flesh. Yes, in the flesh.
1: O- always, uh, right. I have a a poster space ready to fill when I get that photo.
0: Zach- hey, is there a chance? Is there a chance you can get a photo with you, Johnny, and and Ryan?
1: Oh, I'll try. I, I got hard I to get a nice photo of Johnny putting his arm around me the last time they were here, and then COVID hit. <laughs> I'm not saying it was connected, but <laughs> that that is how things played out. Patient zero. Zach, any final thoughts from you? Any anything you want to share from the the game in Toronto today that you haven't said? Any nice fun stories? Don't um, don't well, thank about twenty thousand people though.
0: Well, yeah, first I just want to say you can find, follow me on Twitter uh, at AM. and uh, yeah, there, I won't give you the list, but it was great to see voyagers from. West Coast from across the country. Um, it was, you know, it was great to go to the game with, with my family. Also, I just want to say thank you, Michael, uh, you know, for helping me get accredited and to Richard and the, the CSA. It was really uh, great to be able to um, take in these last couple of days kind of behind the scenes a little bit and uh, connecting with some people in that way. So I really, really enjoyed it. I really thankful for it. And um, yeah, I cannot wait to to see what happens in the draw and what happens uh, going forward for the Canadian men's national team. And lastly, if you uh, enjoy the national teams, um, go out and get tickets to see the women on their gold celebration tour. Um, my, my understanding is ticket sales are not going great. I know prices oh, really? might be a little bit... High. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't call me on that, but that's what I've been told. Um, so go out and get your tickets for to see the women at BC Place on Friday, April 8th, and or... Monday, April 11th uh, in Victoria.
1: And if you go to Victoria, Pacific FC kick off their yes. CPL campaign the day before. The second, so there's a Sunday. great weekend for you. Yeah, double header.
0: Um, I,
2: I would say that most of the time with uh, the sporting events in, in Vancouver, especially, you'll get a lot of walk up. Uh, like ticket sales initially are never that great, but walk up is usually better. But it's good to show the support right off the bat and get your seats. You know,
0: I know, but Vancouver is a place that wants more and more national team stuff. Yeah, and they need to, they need to support it. And Vancouver also has been very good at supporting the women's game. Once again, they need to do it now. Obviously, you know maybe the pandemic, uh, you know, era that we're still in is you know impacting people and stuff. But if you're willing to go to a live sporting event and you love football, um, get out and support support those games.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic four days of football because you've got the women on Friday in Vancouver, Whitecaps Timbers on the Saturday, Whitecaps yes. Timbers 2 on the Sunday at Swan Guard or the Pacific CPL opener over in Langford and then the women on the Monday as well. So it's four, four absolutely crammed days of, of football certainly worth getting out to. But I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. And give us a like, subscribe, turn on notifications on YouTube. Uh, I've got an idea I'm going to pitch to the guys for something we can do on YouTube in the build-up to the CPL season starting, so keep an eye out for that. We will be back soon. Until then, thanks for listening, take care, mon the caps, and allez la rouge! We're going to Qatar!